0: Amen. So this is Amy Farley, and uh, she's, I'll just tell you a little bit about her, and then she'll expand on it. Um, and uh, she used to be on staff here. We're going to talk about that. And was in Africa, Senegal, Africa, and got us moving around to other things. But um, uh, on that note, let's just actually kind of talk about that and uh, tell them a little bit. Uh, for those that don't know, of course, you know, you can obviously introduce yourself. Tell them where you're from if you want. Um, but, uh, talk about your time. You know, a lot of people might not know that you, you actually used to be on staff here as one of our pastors. And so maybe talk about that and your introduction into ministry and.
1: Yeah, I did. I used to work on staff here. I was talking to Noah and Wendy this morning and it was about 12 years ago. Um, almost 12 years ago. Cause Morgan had just been born and yeah, I worked here for a couple of years and I loved every minute of it. I loved Belton. And now it's interesting to be here to see some of the kids, are so grown up, like Roxy and Macy and Reagan. I remember they were like babies back then. Um, but so, yeah, it was great. couple years, loved it, had fun, was able to grow and work in, in freedom and just be creative. Uh, and then Pastor Thrasher, Harry Thrasher, being the, the great pastor that he was, allowed me to go on a missions trip. And he probably regrets that ever since because... <laughs> That's kind of where the call to missions began, but yeah, I remember when I first um, first came to Belton. Matt and Noah came down to to help me move. I was living You're down. Welcome. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I um I was living down in Dallas Fort Worth area, and they came uh, to help me move. And y'all, for real, they were the two most unfriendly people ever. You think Matt and Noah are so nice and great? They were so unfriendly and mean. And acted like I was so inconveniencing them, but um,
0: I don't I don't remember that at all.
1: I totally. Remember Can we get
0: that. Noah a mic? Maybe he <laughs> wants to speak for himself. Tell him.
1: <laughs> no, but they did help me move, and it took it took a while for us to become friends. But um, <laughs> it took twelve years. <laughs> it took twelve years, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so uh, there's a long history there. They y'all are all very special friends to me now. Um, but I went on this mission strip that pastor let me go on, and I remember the morning, it was a Sunday morning, I was going to the airport, and, but I was here for church, and we met in his office and, uh, in the mornings when we'd meet and pray, and all of us were praying, and, and he said something at the end, I don't know if you remember this, but he said, um, I don't like to send my staff on mission trips because then they feel called to missions, and I, I, I said, that's not going to happen. Um, I had believed I had a call to missions years back, but I'd kind of hit this point where I was like, okay, God, it doesn't seem to be happening. And I'm settling in here and I'm happy. And then sure enough, I came back from that trip and I was different. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this Carol, but I was sitting in the office one Sunday morning after we'd had a lunch thing and, uh, it was pastor appreciation day. And she was like, Amy, just want you to know we love you and appreciate you. And I was like, thank you. I love you too. And then she said, and we hope God's not calling you to Africa. And I just said, I, I didn't want to lie. I mean, I can't lie to my pastor's wife. Um, so I, lied I, of,
0: I lied to the pastor's wife all the time. <laughs> it's different, though.
1: <laughs> so I just said, please don't ask me to answer that right now, And which obviously, that was a dead giveaway. But, yeah, so that was kind of a long answer. But um, that's kind of how things got started.
0: It was a fun answer, though. Um, I will... Clarify on social media later what she's talking about. No, and I being uh, <laughs> friendly. No, uh, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, I I remember that as well. I do remember going up there and moving you down, and your your mother giving us the stink eye through the uh, back door. But well, you know what
1: it was because Matt had, he had a tattoo, and my mom is so so conservative, and she was like, "He's a youth pastor, and he has a tattoo."
0: <laughs> it's a good thing i took my earrings things out have changed.
1: things <laughs> have changed <laughs> because i now have a tattoo and she about disowned me over that one
0: uh, <laughs> well now the church <laughs> sorry that was too tattoo, much information so.
1: i'm sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway
1: you need to know who he is right we're
0: gonna wrap up right now
1: uh,
0: <laughs> all the other skeletons are out no <laughs> and uh that that was a good day uh, so let's talk a little bit then. So after you felt that call, uh, talk a little bit about that transition, how you found Senegal, um, you know, how you ended up landing there. And I think it's important to talk too about the Matan Project because our yeah. church, you know, we did the 5K a couple of years ago right. that Pastor Ben and Jenny organized and many of us participated in, which raised money for that school and that. So I think talk about that, about the work you had with the Muslim boys there. Um, so maybe finding senegal landing there okay. and then the matam project
1: well i had when i left here the, belton you those of you who remember and who are here back then you just sent me off in an amazing way um with so much support and readiness uh and so i went actually to south africa for two years and worked there and then came back and was preparing to go back longer term and I just felt in my spirit like God had something else, that it wasn't uh, South Africa, that there was somewhere else where there was a need that I was to go. And through a conversation with a friend, somebody mentioned Senegal to me, and I had never even heard of Senegal. I had to look it up on the map. Uh, And it just stayed in my spirit. And so when I got home that evening, I looked it up on the computer, uh, and and it just stayed in my spirit and stayed in my spirit. So when I met with my leadership, I, I said, well, what do you think of Senegal? And... God brought that about. But the interesting thing is, I think I've shared this before, is on a plane coming home from South Africa, sitting beside me was a Muslim man. And he asked me what I'd been doing in South Africa. And he said, uh, and I told him we'd been doing camps and crusades and all kinds of things with kids. And this Muslim man looked at me and said, You need to come to West Africa and help our kids. And I laughed and said, "Uh, I will never go to West Africa. I'm a high maintenance girl and that's not going to happen. And lo and behold, when I realized Senegal and realized it was in West Africa, I thought maybe God was trying to speak to me back then, and I ended up in Senegal. I've been there about seven years, um, doing lots of work with children and families. And the Matam project is really something very exciting. Uh, in northern Senegal, the country is 95 percent Muslim, but in northern Senegal, it's it's pretty much 100 percent Muslim, and we had no churches at all of any kind in the northern part of the country and so myself and another couple had decided to start just really having a strategic plan to reach the north Um, and matam was one of our first locations it's the name of an area and we were going to go in and we were going to build a school and then plant a church through the school and it worked out well because with the senegalese the national church the believers in the south they would raise up christian teachers and a pastor and they would move out to the school and they would staff it so we weren't staffing the school or the church plant. It was all run by Senegalese believers, um, and it was meeting a need with a school, and it's self-sustainable. The, the big fundraising part was to get the school built. That was the expenses that we had to do. Uh, the school opened uh, back in October, um, and it's doing well. The school is doing very well. The church is going. I mean, we've not had not had people come to Christ yet, that really is a slow process in a Muslim country, but people who have come to the pastor and asked them to pray for them in Jesus' name and and sickness and things like that, and just lots of, lots of, um, it's been very receptive there. Like I said, they haven't made that decision, but they've been very receptive and very open to the gospel. Uh, So it's lots of exciting stuff. It's an exciting time in Senegal. I think God is really just, getting ready to do something big there. And we're just about to see a harvest in Senegal.
0: Amen. Let's give God a praise. Let's just stop right now and give God a thanks. Amen. I mean, that's, that's huge. And so just for a point of reference, you know, we're all familiar with the continent of Africa looks like. So where would Senegal be if we were looking on a map, you know?
1: Okay. Uh, you know, on the west side where it goes out like this and around, um, in the middle of that big bulge area right in the middle is Senegal and actually Dakar it, which is the capital kind of sticks out if you look at the map um and it's the westernmost tip of the continent
0: cool so you went to Senegal and and you're there you're a single whitest person i know uh what? woman <laughs> that's just true um and we're going to be talking about truths you know talking about tattoos and stuff so uh, anyway you're in Senegal uh, you're a single white woman and you're there you're doing the work of the Lord, and, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's time to transition into uh, some of the roadblocks that you encountered, and, of course, the real reason you're here, yeah. uh, to share your testimony of God's grace and, and saving you, but what you endured and that all of that.
1: <laughs> you want me to go into all that right now?
0: Yeah. <laughs> we might as well. We need to carve out some time, so. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I'm going to stand for this part then. Absolutely. That's good. By all means. Noah's going to bring me some. And you can't interrupt me.
0: I won't interrupt. I will turn my mic off.
1: (laughs) No. Senegal is a, you know, it's predominantly Muslim. And in that culture, women have very little value as human beings. Um, And I am a very independent, strong woman. And so that's a rough place to be. And that transition alone was very, very challenging. Um, But I loved my life in Senegal. Like I said, I lived in northern Senegal in the area of San Luis, And it was, um, I loved it. I still think about it, and I just think, I'm just still in awe and shock of everything that's happened. Because I just loved my life so much. I worked with the most amazing children. I loved them. But things are changing. And uh, some of you are familiar with the story. And before I start that, I do want to say that the family of God is an amazing thing. The family of God is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The body of Christ. We we need each other. We want to pretend and act like we don't need each other, but we need each other. Um, and this year, the body of Christ has just rallied around me in this an unbelievable, amazing way and prayed for me and supported me and lifted me up. I run into people in strange places. Um, I was eating at Rosa's and Burleson the other day, and a lady comes up to me. I don't even know who she is. And she says, you're Amy Farley, right? And she says, I've been praying for you. I was at a hotel the other day in Missouri, and somebody said, you're Amy Farley. I have never met you, but I have been praying for you all year. And it it is amazing, the the family of God. And and I myself have been someone, I'm a very independent type person, and I've been someone who um, I love people, but I wanted to live my life in a way where I didn't need anybody. I wanted to be able to do everything on my own without your help, but enjoy you as people. Um, but this year, I have been knocked off my feet, and I and I realize what a stupid philosophy that is. And um, actually, I think that's, that's immaturity in the kingdom of God. I would almost say independence is immaturity in the kingdom of God. Uh, we need each other. And when you need help, you need to reach out. Sometimes you have to be your own advocate. Reach out for help, because people cannot read minds. And I've had to learn that this year. When I wanted people to read my mind... Um, they can't. You have to reach out. Um, about a year ago on May 19th, uh 2014. Um, it had been it was a normal day. It was just a normal Sunday. Couldn't have been any more normal. Got up, went to church, went to lunch with some friends, walked around my neighborhood that afternoon, took a bunch of pictures. I love photography, sat down with a group of neighborhood kids, even posted a picture on Facebook that last that night of um, Some of the girls out on the streets jump roping, and I just titled it Sunday evening in San Luis. But then I came home. I set my alarm for early in the morning because I was going for a run that next day, and I went to bed, and in the middle of the night, maybe around 2 2 a.m., two men broke into my home, and they busted into my bedroom. They immediately blindfolded me, gagged me, put a knife to my throat, and tied me up. And they proceeded to rape and torture me for two hours. Uh, at the end, they, they told me they were going to kill me. At times, they told me they were going to kidnap me and take me to Mauritania. Um, ultimately, they, when they were done with me, they robbed me and they left me. Um, once I was fully aware that they were gone, I, it took me a while, but I managed to get the blindfold off and I managed to... to um, they had tied me up like this, so I had managed to to get my hands loose, and and quickly I just I grabbed some clothes and um, and in this, those of you who know me well will appreciate this. Then I went into the bathroom, and I brushed my hair. I I don't know I I I, I maybe I should throw humor in right there, but it's still kind of I'm like why why did I brush my hair you know? But I think it was just this search for something normal, just you know I was in such shock. Um, and when I knew they were gone, I kind of looked outside, hopped in my car. My colleagues lived half a mile from me, and I drove to their house, and at this point it was probably 4.30 or something in the morning, and I just pounded and pounded and pounded on their door until they came to the door and told them what happened. Um, And then, of course, lots of... It was the the most terrific day, going from doctor to doctor and trying to find someone that they were all... They were very cruel, and because it's... uh, uh, um, Because women... Don't have much value there. They they treated me like um, like it was my fault, and even accused me of doing something wrong. And and it was it was awful. And those details aren't important, but it was by far the the darkest darkest day of my life. I mean, I felt like God abandoned me. I mean, how can you not feel like God's abandoned you when something like that happens? And and, and even still today, I just think is this is this really my life? Did this really happen? Um. Excuse me. I immediately flew home. It happened Sunday night, Monday morning, and I was home in Dallas Fort Worth with my parents by Wednesday afternoon. Um, and within a week or two after that, I sent an email out to all of my supporters, all of my friends, and I titled this email "It Feels Like Evil Is Winning." And I just wanted to read that to you for a minute, to just so you can hear. This is where my heart was and what I was feeling. It feels like evil is winning. If I can be honest with you all, that is what I'm feeling these days. Evil is winning. Sunday night, Pastor Jim said this in his sermon. The greatest power in the world today is not sin, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know this is true, but my heart is doubting this right now. It feels like evil is winning. I've come face to face with evil, and it feels like evil is winning. I've spent almost seven years in Senegal and feel as though I have very little to show for that time. I have talked about, prayed about, and cried many tears for the Matam project. And while the National Church and my team members are following through with the project, I don't get to be there when the school opens. I will not be at the first church service. And part of me thinks, yes, we will plant a church, but really, will it make a difference? It feels like evil is winning. This trauma has shaken up our entire team in Senegal. We are all hurting. We are all trying to find our way through this. It feels like evil is winning. I need you. I need your prayers because it feels like evil is winning. I remember standing with a friend. I'd gone to some services somewhere. A couple, literally the, the day I sent this email, I was with her, and I just went off on this tangent. She was trying to preach this good stuff to me, and it was all true stuff. And I just, I, resp- I said, no. I said, evil is winning. Evil is winning right now. I mean, I, I just, I was convinced that evil is winning. And I know when we look at the news today, it probably feels like evil is winning. But a friend of mine wrote this to me in response, and this has been, I have gone back to this all year long. I believe you've now fallen to the ground, Amy. There's nothing left of you to give. That's okay. Stay there. Allow the rains to pour over you. Bathe in worship. Bathe in who God is. Forget about who you are, who you were, who you were hoping to be. Let God decide what He wants to bring out of your fallen seed. Let Him be the one who turns death to life. Wait for the resurrection. Don't try and force it. Wait the resurrection don't try and force it and that's what this year has been for me waiting waiting for that resurrection. Paul said in Philippians 3 verses 10 and 11 my aim is to know him and experience the power of his resurrection to share in his sufferings and to be like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. you can't have a resurrection without a death and that has been my year waiting waiting. And I am one of these people. I am, I am, I am a doer. I want to fix it. I want to make it work. I want to do it. Um, I couldn't do it though. And waiting, waiting killed me. I hate waiting. We live in a culture. Waiting is not natural for any of us in the American culture. And, And it, I just, I remember a month afterwards, telling some friends of mine, sitting with them and saying, I have to figure this out. I have to move on. I need to figure out what I'm going to do in life now. You know, And I look back, and I'm just like, oh, I was clueless. I was clueless. I spent about eight weeks here in Texas with family, and I was dying. I was drowning on the inside. I tried my best to make it look like I was doing good. I was moving forward. But I was dying. I cannot express to you I was dying on the inside, And a friend helped me get connected, and I went up to Seattle, Washington. Uh, Our organization has a place where you can go there for counseling. And I spent eight months up there in counseling. Um, And it was long, painful, hard eight months. I'm still trying to find a word to describe what those eight months, what this year looked like for me. But there's just not a word adequate in the English language for me to describe what it felt like and what it was this year for me. I recently went through my journal, and I read through everything from the moment of the attack to today. I read every entry to kind of just see the journey and where I'd been and and how things had processed. And so I made a few notes, and I just wanted to share a little bit with you. I'm being very real and very transparent with you this morning, uh, and I'm just showing you my heart. I'm not super spiritual. I'm not super holy. I'm just a person. Um, So don't be disappointed with me. May 25th, exactly one week after the attack, I wrote these words. I don't know how I will make it through the days ahead. I'm trying to find my way. And then I wrote this verse that someone sent me. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice. August 6th, my heart hurts so deeply right now, I feel like my life is over. Any ministry, any calling on my life, it feels like it is over, and I am just trash on the side of the road. But I know deep down, this is not truth. August 28th, my anger towards you runs pretty deep, God, and yet I know you won't let me go. I'm thankful that in our anger, I'm thankful that God can, can handle our anger. When we look at Job, and Job is, you know, that poster child for suffering in the Bible, Job said all kinds of things to God. What we see in the book of Job, one of the, one of the strongest messages in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. You can throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment, and he can take it all. Somebody told me one day, um, they said, Amy, God has broad shoulders. He can carry your anger. He can handle your anger. Uh, and I have to tell you, there I said things to God this year that I never thought I would say to God. I said horrible, horrible things to God. But he never left me. He never turned his back on me. October 1st. As I was praying tonight, I felt the Lord say to me, I won't leave you alone, Amy. I then told God, I don't know how to walk this road. Then I felt him gently say, I know, Amy. I know. And I am here. December 1st. On this day, I just wrote a scripture verse that I had read. And it was so powerful. Um, When I read this, I just thought, that's exactly, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly where I am right now. And it's Lamentations 3, verse 17. It says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. I cannot tell you how how much that verse resonated in my spirit. But the great thing was, even though I didn't feel it at the time, just a few verses down, that same writer says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. December 3rd. I need to explain a little bit before I read this one to you. Um, This was probably my darkest week. I had come home for Thanksgiving for two weeks, and... Y'all, the enemy is a punk. I mean, he, I mean, there's just no better way to say it. He's a punk. And he is out there to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to destroy you. And I am convinced the number one way he does that these days is in our minds and the thoughts he puts in our minds. I mean, I look back at some of the things I thought early on, and I'm, I was tormented by things that should have never even tormented me. Um, when I was home with family and friends, I felt like there was this expectation and I had to have it together and I had to move on. I had to figure this out and that's not what anyone was thinking. I mean, I figured that out now that they just wanted to love me and and support me, but I just, I felt like I had to put up this wall. I had to be this person. So being home for two weeks was work for me. I had to put on this front. I had to be happy. I had to have a good time. I had to go see everybody that I could see in those two weeks, uh, and at that point, emotionally, I couldn't handle seeing tons of people. It was draining. And so literally on the plane when I was flying back to Seattle, I could feel the grief and the heaviness and the depression just settling back in. The closer I got to Seattle, the more it sunk in. And I don't say that so much in a negative way because that was that was me just being able to be where I'm at, who I was at that moment in that time, just grieving. Uh, and so when I landed in Seattle, I had a voicemail from my counselor saying she was very sick and she would not be able to meet with me that week. And I didn't do anything in Seattle but counseling. And so I thought, great, I have nothing to do. And and I I was feeling a little anger at this moment. And and I thought, okay, I'm going to go somewhere by myself. I'm going to isolate myself and I'm going to have it out with God. Just me and God, we are going to have it out. And so I found a, a cabin in the middle of the woods, a little distance away, and I went out there. I didn't tell anybody where I was going. I just told people I'm just going away. And I turned off my cell phone. I turned off my computer, and I ate. I slept. I yelled at God. I cried. I ate. I slept. I yelled at God. I cried just in a cycle for three days. And I said some of the most awful things to God. I was in such deep, deep despair, deep despair and hurt, and on the last morning, I was up, and I was washing the dishes, um, and I had a butcher knife that I'd used the night before for something I had made, and as I was washing this knife, I looked at it, and I just, I just kind of gently rubbed it on my wrist, and I just, I just thought, I could end it all right now. I could just be done with everything, I don't have to deal with this anymore. I could just be done. And I stayed in that thought for longer than I should have. But then I thought, no, that would crush my family. And it was then that I immediately finished the dishes quickly. I was in my pajamas still. I grabbed all my bags, threw it in the car, and I drove. I didn't even get dressed. I drove three hours to a friend's house. And I literally, it was the most surreal thing because I drove and I just... All I saw was the road in front of me. I wasn't looking. It's it's amazing. I didn't have a wreck because all I could see was the road in front of me. I wasn't listening to music. I wasn't praying. I wasn't talking. I I was just focused. I was like, I just have to get to their house because I realized it was no longer wise for me to be alone. Um, And in that time in the cabin, these are the words that I wrote, words of anger. I'm tempted to quit and walk away from it all. God has abandoned me. He has left me alone in this, completely alone. I came out here this week and isolated myself, just me and God, and he chooses to remain silent. What am I supposed to do with that? I have asked and asked. I have waited and waited, and still you are silent, God. If this is your plan to completely abandon me, then why didn't you just let them kill me that night? You know, there is something I can say, though, in that my darkest moment. There was something, even though I believed that God had abandoned me, there was something deep, deep, deep down inside of me that just knew it just can't be true. It just can't be true. It's not who he is. It's not what he does. And I believe that was the Holy Spirit. Um, And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit's voice. Uh, And that's why I would challenge you in the good times to seek God, to walk in the Spirit. Because when those times, in those desperate times, that... That's the only reason I'm still standing here today. That's the only reason I'm still serving God is because of the Holy Spirit in me and just that, that just constant reminder that this just can't be who God is. December 6th. At times, breathing is painful, deep, painful breaths of grief. I don't want to dream or think about a future. December 10th. And this journal entry is where I feel like a turn begin to come, a change. My prayer now has simply become, Jesus, help me breathe. Jesus, just help me breathe. I'm not asking for a future. I'm not asking for plans. I'm only asking for strength in this moment. Jesus, just help me breathe. And I think a change began there because it was no longer, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying. I would tell people, I'm just trying everything I know to get past this, to move forward. But it was a point when I finally just came, I let go of my worries about the future, I let go of, of, of everything, and I just, Jesus, just help me breathe. Just help me breathe. Suffering's not something new to any of us. I mean, you can look through the Bible, and there are stories after story after story of people who suffered. Paul told the Thessalonican believers in 1 Thessalonians 3, 4, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. I love how the the lady up here of the worship was saying, you know, we still have those hard times. We're still going to go through those things. We are. I said earlier, you can't have a resurrection without a death. Suffering is a part of life. It happens to the good and the bad. Um, but Scripture doesn't tell us; doesn't stop at telling us we'll have pressures and afflictions. It also tells us in, in advance that none of them will be wasted. Romans eight eighteen says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us." And in Romans eight twenty eight, and let me tell you this: Romans eight twenty eight. There was a time this year where I absolutely hated that verse. And I thought, if I hear that one more time from somebody, I'm going to kill them. Um, and I will say, for someone who's walking through deep grief, especially in the early stages, please, please don't pull out your Bible and say Romans eight twenty eight to them. And if it's been a situation where they've been attacked, please don't say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Don't say that. Okay, maybe six months afterwards you can say that. I'm just giving you some wisdom here. Don't say that. People I understand people love me and they wanted to help me, but, man, some stupid things were said to me um, in love. But Romans eight twenty eight, I heard it all year long. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, here's what I want to say, too. Don't say this to anybody who's been through something like this. Um, everything happens for a reason. I hate that, and that is not true. We live in a fallen world, and and that is simply not true. Everything does not happen for a reason. So if somebody's been telling you that, if you're carrying something today, you've been walking through something, and someone continues to tell you everything happens for a reason, I, I mean, I have to stop just short of cussing, and what I want to say about that, because that is stupid, that is stupid, um, but I, I won't cuss, okay? Okay. Um, it's just it's just not true it's just not true and i will tell you i struggled with guilt this year because one of the things cuz there has been good that has come I cannot deny that there has been good that has come. But any time I even let, and this was the enemy working against me, any time I would even let my mind think about the good that had come, I felt guilty because I felt like I was saying that I was glad that this happened. I felt like I was saying that, that this was a good thing that had happened. And I cannot, and I will not, and I will never say that it is a good thing that it happened. But what I can say is, this is bad, and it will always be bad but did good come from it? Yes. How? I don't know. It's just what God does. It's just who he is. He takes what is bad and he positions it to be something good in our lives. I mean, did you hear that? He takes what is bad and he positions it to be something good in our lives. It does not mean that God did the attack, that God was behind the attack, because that is not truth either. And I struggled with that in those first six to eight months. I struggled; I believed that God did this to me because I was not a good enough missionary or I was not a good enough Christian. And that's not who God is. And that's crushing when you believe something like that. So that is not who God is. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. He takes what is bad and he positions it to be good. That's who our God is. I love how Joseph, you know the story of Joseph. He, he shared a vision from God, and his brothers um, attacked him, sold him into slavery, and he suffered after suffering, after suffering, after suffering. And I don't believe any of that was from God or necessarily part of God's plan. I believe God used it. Um, but Joseph says this in Genesis fifty twenty in the message you, to his brothers when they're repenting. You planned evil against me, but God uses those same plans for my good. That's who our God is. When I, well, last February, I made a trip to Vietnam. I have some really great friends there. They're doing incredible works. And they had been in contact with me throughout the year, and they kept saying, Amy, just come to Vietnam. Just come be with us for a few weeks. Just let us love on you. Just, just come be with us. And I didn't really want to go, but they kept on my case and kept on my case. And I said, okay. I said, if my leadership approves it, I'll make the trip. And shockingly, they did approve it. They thought this would be a good time for me to test out being overseas again and just to see how things go. And so I made a trip to Vietnam. And it was amazing what God did during those three weeks there. I told you earlier from one of my journal entries, I believed God was done with me. Any giftings I had, any callings, I thought it was done, it was finished, it was over. I I felt like trash on the side of the road. I felt like God was done with me. And when I went to Vietnam, my friends were able to plug me into different ministry, and I'm telling you, life began to be stirred up in me again, because I had been dead. I had been on the ground, waiting for the resurrection. But when I was in Vietnam, God began to stir up life inside of me, and a resurrection began to come, and I just if you were friends with me on Facebook at that time, you saw a clear change from Vietnam to afterwards. Um, I, I, I can't even pinpoint a specific moment. The Holy Spirit just began to work and began to bring life. Somebody said recently, I heard, was listening to someone speaking on the Holy Spirit, and he said, you know, we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about resurrection morning, and the Holy Spirit was there and was at work resurrection morning. But the Holy Spirit was also at work Friday and Saturday." And when I heard that, that so resonated with me because I thought, yes, in my darkest moments throughout this year, the Holy Spirit was still there. And I can't stand before you and say, I'm all good. I'm all perfect. Cause that's, I'm still on my journey to healing, but I am in the resurrection process today. While I was in Vietnam early on, I sat down with my friend Joel in his living room one day and he, we were talking and got into some deep conversation. And I said, I said, Joel, I said, God just hung me out to dry, and he now he's completely silent, and I was angry, and Joel didn't, he didn't say much in response that day, but the next day, we were out at an orphanage, and we were working with a group of kids, and just loving on them, and, and I saw him holding a little girl who was four or five years old, and she was very sick, you could just see it on her face, and he just held her in his arms, and she laid her little head on his shoulder, and he wasn't saying a word, he was just holding her, and he would walk over to a, to a sink, and And he would wet a cloth, and he'd put it on the back of her neck, and he'd walk around with her a little bit longer. And then he'd come back over to the sink, and he would wet a cloth, and he would put it on her neck. Um, And I just watched this for a while. It was a really tender moment. And he saw me, and he just mouthed, she's so sick. And then the next day, I'm sitting with Joel again in his living room, and we're talking, and he said, you know, Amy, the other day you said God was silent. He said, maybe he is silent right now. But I think you feel him. I think you know he's there. He said, in the same way I was with that sick little girl, she didn't need me to say anything to her. She just needed me to hold her and just be there. And she said, in that same way, I think the Father is with you right now. You feel him. And that image has not left my head. Because there are still days when I sit and pray, but I have no words. And, and I don't even necessarily feel like the father's saying anything either. It's just this sitting in silence. And just, I just picture that in my head. I'm just sitting in my father's arm, my head on his shoulder, and just letting him bring healing just through his presence, just through being there. Walking through valleys, it can be a long time. It can be a long time of waiting. But if you just stay with the father, just stay in his presence, just keep trusting him. Uh, Isaiah 30, 15 says, In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. If you just quiet down, you quit rushing, you quit hurrying. In quietness and in trust will be your strength. I stayed with Noah and Wendy last night. Um, and they had this cat. It's a devil cat. I mean, it really is. It's a she, but it's a devil cat. Um, and so I, I don't really like animals at all or care for them. But for some reason in that moment, I wanted to love on this little kitty. So I, I picked up the cat and I held it in my lap. I tried to hold it in my lap, and I wanted to pet it and just love it, and it just started hissing at me and clawing at me, and, and, I, and I actually, I know I sound silly, but I held it up, and I said, you will let me love you right now, and I I was just telling this cat that I want to love you right now. Let me love you. And so I'm trying to hold it, and it's still is still fighting. It wouldn't let me hold it. It wouldn't let me love it. So finally I just threw it on the ground. and said, fine, you stupid cat. Um, <laughs> but it was interesting because a few moments after that I was thinking, and I was thinking, wow, I think, I think it's like that with God sometimes. God just wants to love us. He just wants to hold us. He just wants to comfort us. But we fight it. We're so anxious. We're so trying to figure things out, trying to work things out. And we're clawing and fighting. And fortunately, God is not like me and doesn't just throw you on the ground and say, fine, stupid. Um, (laughs) But God doesn't force his love on us. His love is always there, but he doesn't force it. And he's there when you're ready to just rest, when you're ready to just stop clawing, stop fighting. He's there, and he wants to love you. A friend of mine sent me this verse recently, John twelve twenty four. Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life, just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you will have it forever, real and eternal. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never more than a grain of wheat. God wants you, and he wants me, to be more than a grain of wheat. The greatest power in the world is not sin. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's always resurrection for what is dead. Would you just bow your heads? Spirit, we just welcome you into this place right now. Oh, you are such a good God that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and you're always waiting there just to love us. God, you know the hearts of the people in this room, you know the burdens they're carrying, the sufferings they're working through, whatever it is, God, I just pray today, this morning, your Holy Spirit would speak life. Where there is death, speak life. Bring resurrection. Begin that resurrection process. Father, we love you. Father, as as Pastor Matt comes, I just pray your Holy Spirit would begin speaking to hearts, stirring hearts. Jesus.
0: Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me all across this place? beautiful words can I get an amen Amy would you stay with me please second Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 through 9 we are hard-pressed on every side yet we are not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair we are persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed for those that are in the room today and maybe something she said has resonated with you I know many things have resonated in my heart But I want to speak to the person, the man, the woman in here, perhaps the teenager in here. Maybe first of all, you were abused sexually, and you have never said that to anyone. You've kept it. Maybe like she said, you felt that was your fault. You've never gotten freedom from that. Today is your day to get freedom from that. It is. And maybe you're here today, and it's not necessarily maybe it's not sexual abuse, but you were abused emotionally, or or maybe you were forgotten about. You feel per se in your family, or or, or maybe you've been through a divorce or a couple divorces, and you've been wrecked by that. Or something in your past has wrecked you. I mean, what I'm not going to do here, I'm not going to stand here today and try to pick everything. You're. It's up to you and your heart and your mind and in this moment to fill out fill in the blank for yourself. You always wait for the pastor, the evangelist, and the missionary to fill in your blank. You'll never find freedom. Amen? That's on you. That's not on God. That's on you. We have to start allowing God to be God. Amen? He is a big God. He absolutely is all-powerful. But as she just said, he is not going to twist our arms and make us surrender ourselves to him. That portion of the miracle is on us. Every miracle that Jesus did in the word, he required something from them. Whether it was going and washing in the Jordan, whether it was pushing through a crowd, there was a response from them. Today, you have to give a response. Amen. Before we pray at the altars, we're just going to sing these words, I am not alone. I am not alone, and I want that to resonate in your heart. So with everything that's in you emotionally and physically, I'm going to ask you to reach out to God in this moment. Forget who you came with or who's beside you or why you thought you came today. And just sing it out that I am not alone, Lord. You you go before me, and, and, and you never leave me, God. You never forsake me. You never abandon me. Sing it out today. And I am not alone.
2: Go before me, and you will never leave me. I am not alone. I'm not alone, and I am not alone. Do you believe it? Go before me. You will never leave me. Never. Sing it out. I am not alone. I am not alone, and I. Before me. You will never leave me. And I am not alone. And I am not alone. And you will go before me. And you will. Ne- One last time. I am not alone. And I am not alone. And I am not alone. You will go before me, and you will never leave. I am not alone, I am not alone, I am alone, you will
0: never leave. Amen. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, there's nothing magical that happens when we do that. It's just a common way for us to be doing the same thing in this moment. We're going to get you dismissed soon enough to lunch, but let's take care of business while we're here. I mean, let's not miss this moment. I'm going to ask all of my elders and my staff and our prayer partners to quickly join me at the front. I'm going to dare you, and I'm going to challenge everyone here today. And I ask you almost every Sunday, how free do you want to be? If you want to be halfway free, that's okay. But I believe there's some people in here today that there's some things in your past that have tied you down. It has been an anchor in your life. And it, and it's like a chain. And you can only go so far because you're anchored to despair. You're anchored to depression. You're anchored to fear. You're anchored to doubt. You're, you're anchored to things that have happened, to regrets. And, and today, let's let God be God. Let's be bold and brave and say, God, I want to be free today. So as we sing this today, as we worship today, if that's you, I want you to be brave and I want you to be bold. Step out from where you are, come and find someone, find a spot at this altar and just pour out your heart to God and say, God, I want to be free from my past, from this fear, from this depression, from all this stuff. I want to be free today. If that's you, come quickly. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't look around. Don't say if somebody else comes, I'm going to come make a move on your own. That's it. Come on. Many are coming. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. That's it. How free do you want to be today? Come on. Don't wait. This is your moment. This is your moment. Be free in Jesus' name.